0: It's uh, fair season. I don't know if you're regular fair goers. I was at the Anoka, Pam and I went to the Anoka County Fair yesterday because uh, our granddaughter, six years old, was riding a horse. And so uh, for uh, six-year-olds, you don't get a uh, clover buds for 4-H. You don't get a, any ribbons of significance. It's all Participation. Well, that's fine. She doesn't need to be uh, indoctrinated with all of that so quickly. But the horse and the mentor, uh, they won grand champion in whatever different events that they were competing in. So that was kind of fun. But one thing that's uh, striking to me about a fair or going to the fair is the collage of the culture. It's such a varied experience. You have... Uh, some people who go there for the rides, some people who go there for the food, others who are trying to set up a booth and persuade you to come to their booth and, and buy or sign up or something or here's a person to vote for. All kinds of agendas that are just neon lights at you. That maybe is a perspective of what we are living in the midst of. Such a variety of colors and perspectives in our world, it becomes a culture and a war within the culture. So how do we win this culture war? Because winning is the goal, right? Maybe, maybe not. Is it uh, convincing other people to believe what we believe? Is that what our goal is? Put signs on our lawns, posts on social media, bumper stickers, correcting people that are thinking incorrectly, telling people what to believe. Maybe it's getting the right people elected. That's how we win the war. Getting people elected who hold to our values. I'm not sure about the rest of you, but mine at least. Convincing people that certain candidates are the answer to our society's problems. Well, elections matter because we are dealing with the consequences of what other people, or what election votes, what uh, policies are put into place. Maybe we win when uh, certain social topics or human rights are corrected. When there's justice and there's freedom, maybe it's educational curriculum when we get our curriculum to match biblical values. Well, there's a lot of irony in what I'm saying. There's so many areas of our world and the variety of perspectives on how things should be done. Which ones do you stand up for? How do you do it? Do you uh, protest? Do you avoid conflict? Do you intentionally confront or passively resist? Or maybe just stand back and watch. And some of you are coming to church hoping that there is one place where I can get away from all of that and just focus on Jesus. And then the preacher brings it up and you're stuck. Well, culture wars are not a new phenomenon. They've happened throughout history, and our text today is speaking directly to a city that was in the midst of a cultural war, a cultural conflict, in a lot of ways, a lot of different aspects of it. The city of Corinth was an important Roman trade route, and that meant that every ideology that was circulating would pass through the town. So within Corinth, there was division and immorality and corruption, a mix of different religions. You had the Jews, you had the Greeks, you had the crazy new religion called Christians. The Jews were following their traditions and their laws. The Greeks were following their multiple of Greek gods. The Romans looked to Caesar as the god. And then there's this Christian group, who are talking about this person that was killed and was raised back to life. 1 Corinthians one, twenty-two and 23, it says, The Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. So if the city of Corinth and all of this turmoil that was in it, wasn't enough, it was coming into the church. And so Paul visits and writes a letter and has to deal with this conflict. So how does he do that? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Short text, actually. 1 Corinthians 2. One, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of god let's pray and ask the lord to bring understanding to all of this heavenly father we thank you for who you are and your word and lord i pray that you would help us to understand how to live in our world as well as uh relate this text to our lives and pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So there's a few ironies that I'm going to be pointing out and one of them is this that victory is not found in winning. Victory is not found in winning. Victory is found in Christ, in Jesus. So Paul he doesn't try to win as crazy as that might be, he proclaims Jesus. He says, I when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Think of Paul in his background. Trained as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he was followed every detail of the law, he was from the right tribe and the right family, he had memorized the Torah, he was trained under Gamaliel, he could speak multiple languages, he had the right training, right citizenship. If there was somebody capable of giving a lofty speech or great wisdom, Paul would be there. He'd be on the list. And he says, I decided to know nothing among you. He doesn't use all of that that he has. Why? Because the things that we do are not going to have lasting value. It is what Christ does that lasts for eternity. The things of this world don't last except for people's souls and the Word of God. Only Jesus can make an eternal difference. So the biggest problem in the culture war is ourself. We are the ones that get in the way of other people seeing Jesus. We see things from our perspective. We have our own agendas. And when other people look at us, they don't see love or understanding or a listening ear. They don't even see Christ. I was uh, really um, seeing this from a new lens or a new perspective here recently. The movie series, The Chosen, there have been two seasons of that, and there's going to be a third one coming out soon. Uh, But they did a, a documentary Really unique documentary. They gathered a bunch of uh, Gen Z uh, people, mostly in that college-age range, uh, to give their perspective on a new series. They didn't tell them what the series was going to be. They may not have signed up for it. But they, people, they came from various backgrounds, all kinds of families, functional, dysfunctional, prison, abuse, uh, just... Much challenge within educated, privileged, just a big variety. They had two things in common. None of them had seen the movie Chosen, nor had an interest in any Christian movies. And second, they didn't have a lot of positive things to say about Christianity either. And so here they are, uh, tasked with reviewing this, this film series, season one. As they watched each episode, without a commentator, just watching it and then discussing it amongst themselves, answering questions about what they were recognizing, they started to deal with issues in their own lives, hurts that they had been uh, had felt. They started to change. Then at the end of the series... They met Jonathan Romier, who plays Jesus. He came out and met them. And they were shocked. And they were filled with joy. And they wanted to give him a hug. This group of Gen Z students that had no interest in anything of Christ or Christianity is now showing affection to him. Because they had met Jesus they had found victory in their own heart dealing with the hurts that they had from the past dealing with their false ideas no cultural topics were discussed the man one man that was uh, had a criminal history had been in jail for some period of time he was a kind of a pantheist had uh, any god is okay I'll All gods are good. And he, at the end of the series, he's got tears in his eyes. But he says he realized that God was speaking directly to him and calling him into a relationship with him. It was such a shock. He was so surprised. The girl that had been abused found healing. The one that was a lesbian found love and acceptance. Victory is found in proclaiming Jesus, not ourselves. Victory is also found in portraying humility. Verse 3 and 4, Paul says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom. I find encouragement in that. Paul was not afraid of conflict. He talks about weakness, fear, and trembling. He was in the midst of it. Forty lashes, minus one, the stonings, the beating with rods, the shipwrecks, danger from the rivers, from the Gentiles, from the Jews, from the Christians, the false believers within the Christian church. He had faced it all. He wasn't afraid of any of that. So why? Why the weakness, fear, and much trembling? Because victory is not found in our greatness. It's found in our humility allows Christ's greatness to shine. Our humility allows His greatness to show out. Such a contrast to how we normally think. We're taught that greatness is best, and we see it in everything. It's in sports, it's in grades, it's in promotions, it's in house or car, or, you know, the list is long of all the ways that we pursue greatness. We don't portray humility in our society, we don't even live humbly. It's not easy for us to see other people's perspectives or look at it from their point of view, and how are they going to listen to us if we can't hear them, if we can't understand them or love them? But God does. Our VBS verse from a week ago, one of them, was First Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, if we can allow our cracks to show, then people can realize that this is real authentic faith. It's real. Philippians 2 says, Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important, more significant than yourself. You know, there's an irony in this as well. Because a truly great person doesn't need to convince anybody of it. Whether it's basketball or or, uh, some other sport, uh, a great person doesn't have to convince anybody. It's obvious. But the insecure person is the one that is trying to convince others of their ability. Victory is not found in ourselves, it's found in Christ. Who we are in Him and what He says. We live uh, next to an airport, or our church here across the freeway. We can see big jets flying in all the time. And I'm sure that many, most of us have been on one. Maybe multiple times, probably multiple times. What makes those jets so great? Is it the machine itself? Is it the pilot? Is it the company? Is it the engine? I don't think it's any of that stuff. It's the fact that it can fly. It can go from one destination to another safely. And if you travel to another country, it feels like time travel in in many ways. But you know what's amazing about these machines, is that you cannot even see the force that holds it up, the lift that makes the flight possible. Your ability does not depend on yourself. It depends on the one who is holding you up, the one that is lifting you, the one that gave you the talents, the abilities in the first place. Oh, the weight of the person that feels like they need to do life on their own strength. Find victory in God's greatness, in our humility, and His greatness. Third, find victory in the power of God. Speaking about God's uh, about Paul's message, he says, "In demonstrate it was a demonstration of the Spirit and of power." so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Demonstration of the Spirit and His power. It's an interesting thing, because His work is the visible signs of an invisible force. Maybe like we give the example of the airplane. But if you're sitting outside on any given day, uh, or if you're at the fair for some number of hours, waiting for some small child to ride for one minute. Uh, you can feel the heat of the sun, even though it, you cannot tell where it is touching you and see it touch you. You can feel the cool breeze, but you don't know where it comes from. You can see the trees move, the clouds race across the sky, or a storm coming even you, though you don't know where the source of its power is. Work of the Spirit. It's like a visible sign of an invisible force. He works in people that, in ways that are tangible, but not visible. God's Word. You might have read a verse a hundred times. And the Spirit of God makes it Alive and intentionally purposeful for your life at a certain moment, he reveals what the mind of God is. He applies it into new applies that word in new ways in our lives. He convicts us of sin. The reason we're conscious of right and wrong is because the Holy Spirit is at work. He allows us to be understanding God's forgiveness or allows that forgiveness to cleanse our mind and our heart. He comforts us in the middle of trials. He gives us peace in the middle of a storm. We can feel people praying for us. We pray to God and we believe and we know that he'll answer us because of the spirit. When we come here together. It's not just a a song rehearsal. It's entering into the presence of God. It's worshiping the Lord. Because the Spirit of God unites us together. We come from such a crazy collage of backgrounds. What do we have in common with each other? It's the Spirit of God that unites us as a church, unites us as a family. And then even if you go to another country, in a language you can't speak or understand, And you can tell the Spirit of God is there. Three weeks ago, we had the Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge Girls Choir come and and perform for us. Did you notice anything, those of you who were there? Did you hear anything significant? They said, everyone that spoke, said over and over again, about the work of God in their lives. A tangible, a visible sign of an invisible force. The evidence of the power of God is it's around all of us. We can see it and we can know it. The question isn't, is God at work? We can know that. The question is, is He work at work in your life? Have you found victory in Jesus? If you're going to experience victory, you need to know that power of God, the transformation that He allows into your life. I started this message by asking, how do we win the culture war? Really, it's not about winning some war outside. It's about winning the war in our own heart. The goal is winning the culture war in your own heart. Paul spoke to a divided city, a divided church, but he could do that because he had victory. Christ had victory in his own life, in his own heart. It was a road to Damascus. He was against Christianity, and then he became the passionate, ardent supporter and promoter of Jesus. He portrayed humility because he had found his greatness in Jesus. He found victory in the power of God because God had changed him first. The things that we do in society, there's many things that are good and important to bring balance into our society if they are done under the authority of Christ in our lives. At the fair, off to the side, just in a little white building, church-style building, there was a sign out front, only one sign, as such a contrast to everything else that was running around at the fair and all the A desire to draw attention. And that sign just said one thing free prayer. Where are you at in the war within your own heart? Is Jesus the one that's ruling and controlling? Let's pray. Almighty God, you know our hearts better than we even know ourselves. You know you know how often we try to promote ourselves as opposed to promoting you. And even in the hidden agendas of our mind and our heart. Oh Lord, I pray that you would humble us. Pray that you would do it gently. teach us to lift you up and that we would be just astonished and blown away by the work that you're doing in our lives and the world around us the transformation that starts on the inside and that would then overflow in everything that we do we pray this in Jesus name